0: If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: Welcome to State of the Nation on today's news talk with Steve Hook and Brian McClain. That would be me. It's great to have you with us. I'm broadcasting live out of Central Texas, and Steve is here with us off the New Jersey shore. Steve, welcome to State of the Nation. How are you doing today? We got a big show. Oh, man, we got a big show, big news, and a big
2: day. So yeah, looking forward to it. I'm doing it live from the Jersey shore, and it is good to be with you. Once again, Hesher, uh, looking forward to it, as always, my friend.
1: Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And hello to you in the interactive live chat room over there at TNTradio.live. That's our website. That's where you find any episodes you may have missed our What's on Events calendar, all that great stuff, um, list of shows. Get on over there if you're not familiar with it, and check out some new shows over here at TNT. We are live 24-7. Please follow Today's News Talk on X.com, on all the social feeds. You can email Steve and I or any host here at Today's News Talk. So get on in there and interact with us. We would love to see you there. Drop us some comments and whatnot. And hello out there on YouTube, Rumble and Odyssey. It's great to see you today. Now, let's launch right into it, Steve. Um, uh, Reading from Jack Phillips over here at Epoch Times, uh, former President Donald Trump made history with his Republican primary win in New Hampshire, Wow. Yep. Here we are Uh, with this victory over South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in the state. President Trump has become the only non-incumbent Republican to win both Iowa and New Hampshire, according to multiple analyses here. President Trump is also the second non-incumbent Republican to get a majority of GOP primary votes in the Granite State in modern history. The only other one to do it was then candidate. Ronald Reagan in 1980, according to the historical data. The former president also received the largest share of the state's primary vote, with President Reagan only getting 50.2% at the time. Well, um, the result bolstered Republican calls for Ms. Haley to leave the race and unify around President Trump, as we've been predicting and discussing Steve. However, she said in a speech... And before the primary that she would persist and her campaign vowed in a memo earlier on Tuesday to push it all the way to Super Tuesday way out there on March 5th, Steve. Yeah,
2: Uh, absurd. Um, First of all, I would just say Trump is in very good company if he's only in that company with Reagan. So a bully for him. As far as as far as Nikki Haley goes, listen, she can say this race is far from over, but it's over. Yeah. Um, and it's just um, it's one of these things that's it, it's I I I heard somebody saying on one of the news shows yesterday that sometimes the harder hardest thing about campaigning isn't deciding to get in, it's when deciding to get out. uh, she's got a lot of big moneyed interest. Not just Democrats either. We saw that that's who mostly voted for in self-proclaimed in uh, independence in New Hampshire, but a whole bunch of Democrats crossed over because it's an open primary and voted for. But the telling thing, Hesh, that I thought that I saw was over seventy percent of all Republicans in New Hampshire uh, that primary that, that went that voted in the primaries went to Trump. So. I don't know who is telling Nikki Haley to to stay in this race. I suspect it is those big money donors. It is the never Trump uh, coalition in the Republican party. I think the uh, team Bush, uh, those, th- those types that are saying, uh, you know, stay in there. Um, but the, but the Republican voters have rather roundly rejected her and now she's going to skip Nevada. So she's not going to pick up any delegates there. And she's 50 points behind in, in her home state of South Carolina. So I don't know where she goes. And then, of course, to rub salt into the room, Trump brings uh, Tim Scott up on stage with him, South Carolina senator. So
1: <laughs> when does she get out is the question. She needs to get out. Yeah. Well, her comment um, was the following. Let's see here. Uh, she said. Um, That President Trump's win would mean that Republicans lose in November. So she's doing a little bit of stick. Please vote for me. A little stick and carrot. Please vote for me. Here's the quote. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. The former governor said, uh, quote, a Trump nomination is a Biden win okay so president trump snapped back at that and he described ms haley as an imposter on tuesday he said quote i don't get too angry i get even uh he said this in a truth (laughs) social post where he wrote that she's delusional and just lost nevada which will hold its primary soon and then he went on to say she's not gonna win but if she did she would be under investigation i could tell you five reasons why already not big reasons little stuff that she doesn't want to talk about, end quote. So uh, here we go, Steve. That's going to be sort of the talking points here. Haley's going to say, hey, if you give it to Trump, he's going to lose to Biden, which might be a little bit laughable if it weren't for all the uh, threat vectors when it comes to our uh, election integrity. Yeah,
2: well, you're not kidding. I don't think Trump was necessarily threatening her with you're going to be investigated so much as he was saying, if you think they're coming after me, Uh, Make no mistake, they're going to come after whoever the nominee is on the Republican side. That's just who Democrats are. I won't even pretend otherwise. Uh, They are uh, power-craven simps that will go after anybody. Trump just provides the biggest target. Uh, The thing is, is Nikki Haley said something that I found amazing. She said, the fact that so many independents and Democrats crossed over proves that I can win. And I, I'm like, well, no, it doesn't prove any such thing, really. It, yeah. it proves that you can't win Republican votes is what it proves. But a lot of people, <laughs> as you mentioned, Hesh, are, are, are starting to come around to saying, hey, it's time to bag out. least Stefanik, who, of course, is on that list of uh, the Veep stakes. We'll see if she gets the call. She tweeted out or X'd out. I don't know how you say that now. Congratulations at real Donald Trump on your huge hashtag Trump 2024 New Hampshire primary win. House Conference Chair Elise Stefanik posted that. She said, Nikki Haley must drop out so we can focus on defeating Joe Biden to save America. The Trump train isn't slowing down. President Trump will hashtag save America. Then Tom Tom Cotton, Republican uh, uh, of uh, Arkansas, came on and said, Trump is a de facto GOP nominee moving forward. Congratulations to President Trump on another decisive win in New Hampshire and becoming the presumptive nominee of our party. Kirsty Noem chimed in. And even last night I was watching coverage as the, uh, as the results were rolling in. Uh, Rona McDaniel was on Fox News and she basically said, okay, uh, Nikki, you've had your fun. Time to bag out so we can all coalesce around Trump uh, because I think you're right, delusions of presidential grandeur are that and a lot of donor donations uh donor monies are the only things keeping uh, uh Nikki Haley in the race and i suspect those will start to dry up uh relatively quickly
1: yeah but yeah we'll see talk about talk about a pile of ceremonial propagandistic dollars coming from the wrong side to a GOP candidate to, to, you know, to what? To perpetuate a farce, to perpetuate, uh you know, whatever this is. <laughs> and you know what? And you know what, Hesh? That's that's the real rub, isn't it?
2: Because what Nikki needs is the money to continue. But the very folks that she's getting the money from are why people can't stand her. So, I mean, and I, I, that sounds a little bit harsh. But, I mean, that's why Republican voters don't gravitate towards her. Trump voters aren't going to budge from Trump. And she's not winning anyone else over that are even on the margins because she's taking money from you know lefties uh and and right. globalists so yeah, the Reed very the very criticism yeah exactly it's crazy
1: yeah absolutely Reed well, Hoffman, perfect example yeah, yeah i mean great example look at his uh donation record and tell me yeah. that's not just uh gambling because it ain't all right did you know there are many ways you can listen to tnt why not stream us direct from our website on your desktop your tablet your mobile device? Uh, or download our app from the app store it's a wonderful app i use it every day you can find all the episodes on there and links to the chat room what up in that chat room over there tnt radio.live we got you covered on tnt
0: getting straight to the facts enough with the lies we need facts this is today's news talk radio
1: tnt Now, Steve, I want to talk about the Biden response to all of this because this is another hilarious factor. I mean, uh, send in the clowns here, okay? Uh, Bring in the circus music uh, over there. Uh, President Biden (laughs) managed to avoid embarrassment amid the feud between Granite State Democrats and the DNC. A write-in campaign organized on his behalf garnered well over 60% of Democratic votes, (laughs) and Republican Dean Phillips placed second, with 21%, and someone named Marianne Williamson gained 5%, never heard of her. Um, after New Hampshire <laughs> refused to alter its primary date, President Biden decided not to appear on the ballot and the DNC informed the New Hampshire, New Hampshire Democrat Party that its primary would be considered a non-binding presidential preference event. <laughs> Which, um, if you translate that from global ease, Steve, Means meaningless. Yeah, uh,
2: I thought you were going to say a
1: non-binary.
2: Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, by the way, Marianne Williamson is 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 a nut job in her own right. Um, but she floated around back in twenty twenty as well, and she's just kind of an also ran. Uh, as far as uh, I think, Dean Phillips showing is 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 kind of that should actually kind of send shockwaves through the DNC. He pulled 20% of the vote against a sitting president who had to scramble at the last minute to put together this ridiculous write-in campaign. And then when he won, they come out and say, well, it didn't mean anything. Well, then why the hell did you pull the write-in candidacy if it didn't mean anything? They did it to stop the embarrassment from what Dean Phillips could have done. And guess what? He did it. He took 20% of the vote. So uh, New Hampshire's Oh, you know, the thing that shocked me, though, Hesh, real quick, not shocked me, but I think it's very telling the same exact thing that was on the top of the mind of voters in Iowa is on the top of the mind of voters in New Hampshire, the border immigration. And that is a loser for every Democrat in the race, whether it's Dean Phillips, Marianne Williamson, or the uh, or or the sitting, uh, you know, cognitively gone puppet in the White House now. Biden, they cannot win on this. And in two states in a row that aren't border states, although we all are now, I guess it was the number one concern of the voters. That's got to send a shudder through the Democrats, I would
1: think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and this idea of independence, you know, it's really interesting to actually, you know, because we've been talking about how that would play out. And it was really interesting to see how the rubber met the road. Uh, With regard to that, so um, Haley was aided in New Hampshire by a significant number of independent voters who chose to vote in the Republican primary, as well as by Democratic voters who crossed over to vote for her in opposition to Trump. So New Hampshire laws um, allow independent voters termed uh, undeclared. So a lot of times you'll see undeclared and independent sort of mixed into the same bucket of meanings. Um, to vote in either primary, uh, very interesting. Here's a quote: I had a lot of liberal friends tell me they were going to vote for Nikki Haley, and that was uh, said by one Michael Garzinski of Manchester, uh, speaking to the Epoch Times. So I think that is definitely um, a factor here. But how strange is that, Steve? I mean, it's it seems like a sideshow trick almost to uh, sort of lean into the Trump derangement syndrome or you know, I, I don't even, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush there, Steve, but you know, it's <laughs> like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can leave that to me. I'll paint with a broad
2: brush. You'll recall, you'll recall the day before yesterday, I stated that New Hampshireites are are they're They're like the French they're contrarian. Uh, the, and, and this kind of proves it. This kind of proves it. What ends up happening, what, what ended up happening was, uh, All of these folks decided to cross over and, and I guess vote, uh, for Haley, but CNN last night had a a viewer on and they were interviewing him. He was exiting the polls and he admitted, he goes, I voted for Nikki Haley to help tamp down Trump, but I would never vote for her in the general. So
1: those are the people supporting Nikki Haley. She's got to feel good about it. Uh, Yeah, obviously I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And well, um, looking ahead here, while Miss Haley on the evening of the 23rd vowed to keep fighting the what's up with the long term viability of this campaign? Um, they say it remains an open question, but I don't see much of an open question here, Steve.
2: Yeah. The, the long term viability of a, of a Haley campaign. Yeah, I think it I think it depends on just how deep into the pockets these donors want to go. Uh, I think it's abundantly clear that she's not going to be the nominee. Uh, so at this point, any continuation of uh, of her campaign serves one purpose and one purpose only, bloodying up Trump. Is that really what she wants to do with her political capital, such as much of it remains? Does she really want to trash it in a losing effort just so she can say, at least I beat up Trump? It, it doesn't seem to make sense. But like I said, sometimes getting out of campaign uh, out of the campaign can be harder than getting in, especially when these people are breathing down your necks. I'm ready to cut a seven-figure check, that kind of crap. And that's what's going on with Nikki Haley. Uh, she's getting it from Democratic donors, and she she's getting it from the uh, Lincoln Project types, the Never Trumpers uh, in the Republican Party. I don't think it's going to last. I would be shocked if she doesn't bag out after South Carolina, and she actually does follow through to Super Tuesday, but... I've been shocked this entire campaign season already. And we're what we're in the last week of January. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a long campaign, buddy.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's going to be a a lot of open goals for discussion for us moving forward. For sure. It's staggering to me how much money goes into what is going to be a failed campaign. You know, what happens to all that money? Does it just get blown off you know what happens to what's left of it when she does bag out even if it is all the way up at super tuesday i don't know so many open questions remain and we're going to do our best to keep on top of it right here at state of the nation on today's news talk tnt's
3: jeremy Nell. nice comment here from rebecca she says the youngest people um i work with are a bit more mature but their interactions with the public is stifled and she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial. also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles, is lying under my desk at the moment feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's (laughs) bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. <laughs> Jeremy
0: Nell on today's News Talk, TNT.
3: God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past. Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one.
4: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home.
5: That's 40.
6: California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine.
5: Government stopping people from
0: going to church, Dr. Fauci This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
2: All right. Well, at State of the Nation, we always love to catch up with our next guest, Steve Cohen. Not only is Steve a longtime news director, but he's also a journalist before the business model of networks started to be reflected in their news coverage. Now, it's hard, if not impossible, to ignore the blatant partisanship and the ideological slant of political narratives being driven by the networks these days. And in some cases, these narratives completely ignored. Take, for example... The laughable disclaimer last week of Rachel Maddow on MSNBC explaining why they wouldn't cover Trump's victory speech after the Iowa caucuses. If the plan for the Democrats is to keep Biden in the basement, they're also proactively keeping any coverage of Trump in the media basement. The only time Trump makes it on live TV these days is either when he's in a courtroom or when he's in front of a courthouse addressing an angry media scrum after he was just in the courtroom. So here to talk with us about all of this is the aforementioned Steve Cohen. Steve, welcome back to State of the Nation. The media seems to be on a kamikaze mission to destroy their own credibility. Uh, how long are they going to stick with it, and do they even give a rip? Do they even care that their credibility is circling the drain?
5: I don't think so, Steve, good to see you. I, I think last night's a really good example of it in terms of coverage of the New Hampshire primary What you said about Rachel Maddow and MSNBC, of course, is true. They are all committed to the manipulation of the narrative. Let's just be clear about that. This is not a small thing for your audience to consider. Mainstream media, particularly MSNBC and some of the others, have decided that they want to manipulate the narrative away from what is the obvious truth. Let me give you an example from last night, Steve, if I may. So it's very clear that Nikki Haley has no clear path in any way towards the nomination come this summer at the Republican convention. She has to win in order to get enough delegates. She can't be number two anywhere. Even if she went through all of Super Tuesday and was number two, she would not accumulate enough delegates to have any impact on the nominating procedure. That's the truth. But last night on PBS, on MSNBC and NBC and CBS, they all stood out there and tried to create a narrative that there was a pathway still for Miss Nikki Haley to make it to the nomination. That's what I mean by manipulation. I mean, it, you get to a point where if there's no truth, what is there? Yeah. And I think that's the problem that you you and your audience are having with trying to understand what's going on here. Now, and look, Nikki Haley's entitled to say whatever she wants, right? She's devoted to her dream of being a factor. Well, that's up to her. But as a journalist, your job is to say, there's a hole in this narrative. And this hole you could drive a semi through, right? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Cohen, I'm (laughs) curious. I'm great. It's
1: wonderful to see you again. Thanks for joining us here on State of of the News. Of course, happy to do it. I'm, I'm always interested. You brought up the narrative, the narrative, you know, caps lock, bold face. I'm always interested in the mass media and their narrative. And I'm going to ask you two questions about the narrative. Number one, how important is the narrative to the government, the deep state, you know, them, if you will? And on, and as a secondary, how important is it that we have discussions like this so as to take that narrative away from this mass media cartel?
5: Let's start with that part of the question. I think it's, it's critical because before there were opportunities for voices that are alternative voices of what you fellows are and what I think I am too. Uh, you know, there was no other way uh, until this happened that you could get a point of view across. Now, and so I think it's critical. The democracy can't really survive on a single narrative, even if that narrative was benevolent. Let's say the narrative was the greatest narrative and we all bought into it, right? There is a narrative that is the common ground of the American experience. The problem is that mainstream media does not want to offer that narrative up, right? That narrative is that we are not racist, that we are not white supremacists, that we are about progress and, and, and aspirational for all of America, that's the narrative. But that's not the narrative that mainstream media wants to have. And why is it you ask me that? Here's why, because all the folks that are running those places, they all have the same view of the world. They have a, they have a worldview, which is the Democratic National Committee's worldview. And I'll, I'll just give you I'll knock off a few things and you can you guys can nod. So if you got all those people in the room and said, hey, guys, if you agree with this, any of these things, raise your hand. Here's what. OK, let's start with this. Abortion is OK. They're going to raise their hand. Right. Big government is, is benign and doesn't hurt us. We should spend more money on social programs than we do on protecting ourselves with the American military. Raise your raise your hand. America is a racist nation. America is built on white supremacy. Okay, that's just off the top of my head. That's a half a dozen. All right, I yeah. could go through another. I could go through another twenty of them. Like there, there, there must be a two-state solution in Israel, no matter what. So that's the problem. Is that these are like-minded people that are supported by a like-minded uh, power structure, which is the go- which is currently the American government, and also this thing that Donald Trump called the swamp, right? Or whatever you want to call it. I call it an administrative state, the administrative state. Does, does that get to your to your question? It's a pretty deep question, my friend. You always ask yes. the ones that are, <laughs> <they> <laughs> Yes, absolutely.
1: I love the yeah, existential it, questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, it You're certainly does it, get yeah. to
2: it. Steve, we're going to take a real quick headline, but when we get back, I want to talk to you about your long history in the industry and how you dealt with people, with journalists, that would either go on camera or in print media and try and and latently be uh, ideologically slanted and see 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 if that existed even back in those days because God knows it exists now. Our guest is Steve Cohen. You're watching State of the Nation on Today's News Talk, TNT. Question. Huh? What
0: are you guys doing today? The news now. TNT Radio News. Sounds good. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. In a significant escalation of the conflict in Gaza, Palestinian terrorists executed the most lethal single attack against Israeli forces since the Hamas initiated raid that sparked the war. The attack resulted in the death of 21 Israeli soldiers. On Monday, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan issued
1: a subpoena to the Department of Health and Human Services demanding the department to provide data and details about its handling of unaccompanied alien children at the U.S.-Mexico border.
0: Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime available right now to download, keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio.
2: All right. Welcome back to State of the Nation. Our guest is Steve Cohen. Steve is a long time. Uh, News director, he worked everywhere from Peoria to L.A. to Detroit to Boston and all points in between. Steve, the question that I put to you before the before the headline break there was in your experience, when you look back over your career, was there ever a time when you had to pull a journalist aside and say, hey, look, man, your your own personal opinion is is being reflected in this story? You need to watch that because it seems to me that's what's being promoted now. And I agree with you. These are a bunch of bubble dwellers. But did you have any instance where you needed to, to pull somebody aside and get them back on the role of journalist?
5: Steve, I think that the, the difference between now and, uh, you know, the decades where I was running America's big newsrooms, it wasn't ideological. The debates that we had were, were fact based. They were about how, you know, how many facts can you put together to, to support your point of view? If you, did, if you had a point of view and you did not have the factual base that we would agree that those were the facts on a story, then we would edit the story or we would kill the story. I can remember a number of times, but people, I'm not going to give you their names, but very well-known American journalists that I said, look, guys, uh, you just don't have the facts. For this. I understand your conclusion. Now go back and get the facts and let's put them together. Why? Because fact-based journalism is journalism that, has, that gets to the truth, Right. And what we have today is journalism that had nobody even cares about the facts. They care about the spectacle. And I think that when you remove facts you get spectacle and what happens then is the guys who have the most money and the most influence get out what they want to get out and the rest of us don't. And I and I think Nikki Haley last night's a great example of money, you know, funding a candidacy which is over. And when you lose facts you create delusion and journalism without facts is delusional journalism and that's what in my era we fought but i'll tell you when i had when i had arguments like with um with my long lifelong friends bill o'reilly bill and i go back to the 1970s and and john stossel those were fights over facts you know we both knew what result we were after but we had to make sure we could go through the steps to get to the facts because we believe that the truth or falsity of a statement was more important than anything else, and that you had to weigh what you wanted to present to the public against the truth or falsity of the statement. And also, the other thing is, we never had malice. I mean, we may have had strong opinions about what we were doing, but we weren't trying to be malicious to get people just for the sake of getting them, which is what's happening today. Or, yeah. or um, you look at MSNBC and limiting Donald Trump's uh, acceptance speech last night. Because they felt that he might say something which was inaccurate. Let me tell you something. If MSNBC decide to not let people on the air who had inaccuracies in their statements, it would be a five minute news break.
2: <laughs> yes, I, I knew where you were going with
5: that. Hold on. Did I, get a, I got a laugh out of both of you guys. That That's the first time that's happened on this show.
1: <laughs> no, that's great and very well said, sir. Now, let me ask you this, then, in, in light of what you just said, building on that in in journalism, you know, and we've talked about this before. I don't have a journalism degree. I'm an I.T. guy. But in journalism, even as an I.T. guy, it's my understanding that the standard procedure, right, standard operating procedure would be of a good journalist would be to have multiple sources and look at all sides of analysis on whatever the topic is, Um how and to and to never have malice as you said to never have their own um identity politic getting in the way clearly like we all have our biases and you know there's a bit of that that's okay in in a pundit or a journalist but what happened how did we get here where where did the people like you go who would rein that back in
5: i think i think the answer to that is that the beginning of a 24 7 news cycle really pushed away fact-based journalism to opinion-based journalism so when you watch cnn or even fox news and you see these panels of pundits i mean last night it was insane i mean they didn't have enough desk for all the people that they had on the on the pundit panels and these pundits say what's on their mind based on some small amount of evidence but they're not bringing source material to their opinion they're bringing one or two people that they know as, as sources that they bring forward. So basically, it's opinion piled on opinion to placate a 24-7 news cycle because the news cycle never stops. And if they're on 24-7 as they are, they have to have something to say. The problem is all they have to say is opinion stacked on opinion, not fact-based and in the old days, when I didn't have to do 24-7, right, I used to do eight, nine hours a day. It's a little easier then to be fact-based because that's all you report. And opinion opinion was this big. So now opinion is going, has piled up this big, and fact-based journalism is that big. And when you look at where we are as a democracy, that's why we're where we are. Because the opinion-based has the money and the power and the stations and the networks, And those small groups like you guys or Newsmax uh, or Real America's Voice, you know, are fighting the good fight, but have very small or smaller audiences uh, because, you know, they just don't have the platforms. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, I I agree with you completely, Steve. The 24-7 news cycle really ramped it up. In fact, it was one of the reasons that Fox News was even created was to kind of yeah, uh, here's a different side of the same coin, and the, and and but and then also, don't you think social media has played a role too? Because social media has an outsized uh, uh, sense of opinion as well, and you just get these uh, these talking heads that all kind of agree with each other. Uh, and it also, I from I think from a viewer's perspective, at least from mine. Now I know that you know uh, the three of us are, are are obviously focused in on politics. A lot of the country isn't. But I know that when I watch the news, whether it's Fox or MSNBC, CNN, whatever, I'm always thinking of who owns them, the corporation that owns them. You know, I mean, we, Hesh and I have talked on this program before about how every other commercial is for pharma. And ironically enough, you never see a big deep dive investigation into pharma and what led up to the, you know, the, the COVID and the jab and all that. And I'm not trying to go off on a tangent on that. I'm just saying that it does seem that the powers that be that control these networks are also controlling the news. I mean, they, they, they're controlling what, what to report fact, be damned. Uh, the days of
5: McNeil lair seem to be over, huh? But I think it it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I think that there's no question that the folks that run things are part of the same zeitgeist or field of understanding of what matters to them. And that's the problem. You know, Roger Ailes and and Rupert Murdoch established Fox Cable because they could see that there was a significant amount of Americans that did not buy a point of view from from one side of the aisle. What we've come to see is that our side of the aisle, right, is much broader than mainstream media wants you to, to think. They portray Uh, Donald Trump and the 75 million as a minority group in American politics. Guess what? They're the majority group in American politics. (laughs) And it is the the minority views that they're supporting and and, uh, promulgating. The result of that is that America is out of joint. We're out of joint in terms of the psychology of who we are as a nation. And we keep thinking that the concerns of very small slivers of folks like the transgender arguments would be my best example i mean that's two to three percent of the total population of the united states of america how much airtime has been given to the issues of transgender well it's a lot more than that it's not that transgender people should not have equality i'm not saying that but there's no equity in terms of coverage
2: yeah you know yeah, show, it's outside yeah it's outside show, uh, show, show
5: me the coverage of the of the of the young woman who's losing a tennis tennis tournament to a transgender uh woman i mean yeah. that coverage is small um uh, or any or any of the coverage about uh, the american feminist movement which is a, a an important general movement but not monolithic and i think that's the other point that that comes out of your comment Is that the mainstream media portrays all of these concerns as though they're as though they're monoliths. They've they've managed to say that anyone who believes that America should be great again is somehow a white supremacist racist with a narrow point of view of America. Well, that's just not true. Yeah, well,
2: it's projection. (laughs) It's the exact opposite, in fact. Steve Cohen, I tell you, we're all sitting here talking in the Skype chat, how we'd love to have you for an hour. One one day we will. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for joining us again today. It's always wonderful to uh, to, to hear your sage advice and, uh, and words of wisdom. So we thank you for joining us today on State of the Nation. We'll talk thank to you. you soon. Have a wonderful day. Take care, sir. Thank you, guys. All right. There he goes. That's Steve Cohen. Man, he's so good. You're watching yeah. State of the Nation, and we'll be right back on today's News Talk TNT.
4: Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life saving work at helpheart.org. The
6: challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy.
4: The animals haven't eaten in
1: a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated.
4: But remember, there's good happening right now. At home.
0: All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. uh... Oh, okay.
4: And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifaorg
6: forward slash disaster ready
0: interviews news and views this is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean.
1: today's news talk TNT radio now this is State of the Nation but the actual State of the Nation due to it being such a mess is it's often hard to bring stories like this next one that have sort of a feel-good underpinning to them the topic we're about to broach is a win for Americans for the Native Americans of the Osage tribe and for justice but it was a long fought over a decade of legal battles are wrapping up and in a major victory in an oklahoma judge has ordered wind farm developers to dismantle dozens of turbines uh, these turbines had been erected on tribal land in northeastern oklahoma joining us now to discuss is policy analyst for committee for a conservative tomorrow media strategist and award-winning outdoor writer and also the host of the district of conservation podcast and Sea facts, YouTube original series conservation nation, Gabriella Hoffman, Gabriella. It's great to meet you. Thank you for joining us. This is a fascinating and frustrating story here. Tell us what happened that led up to this big decision to tear these wind farm operations down on Osage land.
6: Good afternoon. It's great to join you. And yes, this is part of a big old excuse me, bigger, um, I would say, uh, kind of dismantling of the net zero agenda that we are currently seeing by this administration, by the Biden administration. And this is to be expected when you are investing a lot of money, especially government spending, into these projects when there's no market value to back them up. Uh, it's unsurprising to see this. But with respect to tribal land and in this Osage Nation case, this was a very contentious battle. These Uh, three particular wind developers had no mineral rights to develop on Osage Nation land. And this is 8,400 acres, 8,400 acres, uh, 84 turbines that were court ordered to be removed. And this is the third instance where we have seen a court take formal action to uh, advocate for, or rather um, usher in the dismantling of these projects. And this won't be the only case. I think we will see more court ordered sanctioned actions like this with Uh, wind energy, and then also uh, solar energy also facing similar challenges, Uh, rural opposition, no funding to back it up, no real market demand for this, and the Inflation Reduction Act funds drying up. So this is, I think, the first of many. But this case is particularly interesting because it is on tribal land. Uh, These mineral rights for the Osage Nation are managed, interestingly enough, by the federal government, by the Department of Interior, Biden's Interior Department, uh, that is full that is fully supportive of this net zero agenda, which calls for solar, wind upscaling and other similar clean project clean energy projects, which aren't so clean, which aren't so cost effective, and do have ruinous effects. But it, it's an interesting case and you don't really see this administration saying, okay, we've seen what's happened here. We supported the tribal interests. We don't have that same deference to, let's say, rural communities outside of tribal land. So it's, it's interesting that here they're okay with not having the project proceed, but they're not elsewhere. So that's an interesting predicament we're in.
1: Yeah.
2: It, it sounds like we're going to need a lot more Indian tribes along the Eastern Seaboard because they're trying to do the same thing here. I just, by the way, watched a uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. That was a great movie about the Osage Nation. So this is a great win for them, Gabriella. Um, But to your your very point, I mean, I I remember when this first kind of started getting ramped up. Everybody remembers the solar uh, company that Obama toured, Solyndra, which turned out to be nothing more than a big giant slush fund. Uh, for the DNC, Solyndra, of course, went bankrupt before it even opened its doors because China was producing exactly what they were going to produce at a much cheaper freight. Uh, and now, uh, and, and speaking of China, China is the beneficiary of all of this crap, whether it's solar, whether yeah. it's wind, whether it's EV, people are starting to wake up to it. I'm glad for this, uh, the Osage Nation. But what about the folks living Up and down the Eastern seaboard from Maine to North Carolina that are fighting this as whales wash up on, I'm on the Jersey shore, Gabriella. Every other week, there's a whale washing up on the shore and that's like, oh, well, you know, they're hitting boats. Yeah, well, gee, for the last 400 years, they never hit boats. Now they're hitting boats all the time. Uh, Something's strange and it might have something to do with those pile drivers you got out in the middle of the ocean. Um, Is this, is this, this push for green energy? Is it? in the death throes here or are they going to fight on what do you think
6: they're double downing on the green agenda of course and particularly to go net zero but i don't think they're going to be so aggressive with wind pushes as you alluded to and i actually did visit the jersey shore we did a conservation nation episode on what uh, the jersey shore and some in the northeast are fighting especially this kind of proliferation of offshore wind unfettered offshore wind without accounting for the potential impacts on marine life uh tourism coastal communities what have you but we saw last year that offshore wind had a very bad year. Solar did too. But offshore wind had a very terrible year. I think Orsted lost about 40 to 60% of their, sh- their value on the stock market because of all these cancellations due to supply chain issues. Um, and no Inflation Reduction Act investment, so to speak, was able to salvage these projects. So they're collapsing on their own. And especially when they're met with opposition by local communities across different stakeholders, both right and left, uh, regardless of the issues that they fall on. But a lot of coastal communities, especially uh, in the Jersey Shore, have said, we don't want this. There are so many concerns in terms of them being eyesores. They're expensive. The upfront costs are extremely high. The lifetime of the wind turbine, especially offshore, is not really practical. Uh, those costs are going to be shouldered onto local communities. And then it's not energy efficient. They don't work. They're intermittent. They don't, they're don't. they not powered 24-7. And then when you have to dismantle them, how do you dispose of them properly? And then, yes, you're right. There is an effect on whales. One of the NOAA fishery scientists wrote a letter to the Biden administration in May of 2022 urging them, please be very cautious proceeding here because there are some effects, negative effects that can be felt from the geotechnical surveying from the pilot from the construction that goes on even just the initial kind of scouting and preliminary phase there there are some adverse impacts and and they're going ahead with these uh incidental harassment takes no problem they're like well okay a few whales maybe they'll be gone because we have this agenda that we have to fulfill by some arbitrary deadline and so the fact that they aren't considering the possible effects on marine life uh marine kind of scenarios, coastal communities, and and just everything that's included here and and the communities and industries that are supported by the ocean, I think it's going to really have a negative impact on them and and really kind of blow up in their face, uh, rhetorically speaking, just because of how radioactive and problematic this issue is, that they're ignoring it, they're downplaying the threats, the the real pressing threats, well-documented threats that are here um, with respect to harnessing this type of energy. And if, if they don't kind of pull back now, if the, if they don't listen to the market, if they don't listen to local communities telling them we have deep reservations about this, marine life are feeling the effects of this, our coastal communities, our health will be affected. There's so many different effects here. I mean, if they don't listen to the different kind of stakeholders and and kind of trends that are currently playing out relating to wind energy, I don't know what will force them to change their mind, maybe losing an election. That's perhaps what usually changes people's perspectives
1: yeah that that could do something for us definitely and you know um what i'm hearing here is exactly what we predicted the inflation reduction act is nothing of the sort it does um absolutely the opposite they're they're siphoning money taxpayer dollars to programs that are just as bunk as solyndra was like nothing seems to have changed since the obama administration Um, and people are starting to notice it so that's good you know we all grew up in a generation that said hey save the whales how about that and now it's like uh, you don't see that quite as often anymore but pivoting back to the osage nation here i'd like it if you would expand a little bit on what it means to have mineral rights, because I don't think a lot of people think about this. You know, we, we see um, companies, corporate companies coming in and leasing land rights in certain places, oftentimes trying to entrap people with, hey, if you let us put this here, we'll, you know, we'll give you a little bit of money if we ever use that piece of land. And then all of a sudden they can't do anything with that land for 60 years after they've signed some sort of um, deal. Uh, You know, we've spoken. uh, There's actually grifts, corporate grifts that go on in in this regard. Um, But people don't often think about mineral rights when it comes to land rights. They're kind of a separate category. And you can you actually put a wind turbine up without drilling deep into the into the bedrock? It seems unlikely to me.
6: Yeah, in in terms of mineral rights, there are different types of categories. But if you're specifically referring to public land mineral rights, so a lot of these companies who are bidding on potential leases to develop solar and wind are going through the Bureau of Land Management. So they've created these shell companies. Uh, One case that we've studied is Lava Ridge at CFACT in Idaho, in, in southeastern Idaho. And so what we examined there was that the shell company that was incorporated in Delaware, but based in New York, created a company that sounded very local in. Twin Falls, Idaho. So what they hope to do if they are, are able to successfully bid on leases, take advantage of Inflation Reduction Act subsidy money, is they would be able to obtain rights to drill and to develop, uh, let's say, wind projects in particular, Um, to have those rights to to develop these so-called clean energy projects. And they'll get permission to do so uh, unless if it's opposed or legally challenged, what have you, because they're trying to greenlight as many projects as possible. So the companies would then be able to, and then actually the Department of Interior is actually offering an 80% discount to bids on solar and wind projects if it's developed on BLM lands in particular. No one's really talking about that either, but they're open about it and saying like, we're gonna incentivize you to, to bid on leases, to develop projects on federal land because we have to usher in a transition by, ni- uh, by 2030, 2035. And so um these, these shell companies, which are traced back to Eastern States, or even sometimes foreign conglomerates too. Um, They will be able to, if if they get approved and these projects are greenlit, they will have access to develop these projects here, which is really unsettling to a lot of folks on the ground in rural communities. Uh, With respect to the Osage Nation, uh, tribal authority is a little different um, when it comes to federal land. So they have, like you mentioned, their own jurisdiction. And so they have their own rights on tribal land, very different from kind of uh, accessing public lands or, or let's say on private land. So they have their own unique category. And what happened here, what was so contentious about this with them is that uh, they never granted permission to these energy companies. The fact that they were so predatory towards the Osage nation. I, th- I was surprised that this was not a bigger story because I had only just caught whiff of it when it was brought to my attention. But the fact that, um, you know, certain interests uh, and very similar to the to the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, the Scorsese film, which is nominated, interestingly enough, for an Oscar film. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list of things to watch. But they had this similar problem out late in the movie where people were coming in to tribal land and engaging in very, very inhumane behavior and, and being extremely horrible uh, towards the Osage Nation relating to oil and gas rights. Now they're doing the same thing uh, with respect to solar and wind in this case, but they were reprimanded this time. Um, with this particular court case being handed down. And so people take advantage of tribal interests. Um, We are actually seeing a lot of that from uh, these green energy companies, so to speak, green energy companies. And it was very impressive and very reassuring to see the Osage Nation fight back and say, you have no rights. We never leased you these rights. We never gave you permission to develop on our land. Please remove these turbines immediately, and the court backed up their case as well. And it's it's a really interesting situation because oftentimes um, you're you're often seeing tribal interests represented as going full steam ahead with clean energy projects. We've seen a lot of them, especially out west and and more so southwest, uh, rebuke the administration for not allowing them to develop coal, oil, or natural gas, um, especially in Montana, in states like. Colorado. And so it's it th- there are different perspectives and, and not all tribes are fully on board with the green agenda so to speak or clean energy development or harnessing so to speak because a lot of them make their livelihoods off of conventional oil and gas or conventional energy and some may make a livelihood off of not doing that. But but in this case they were very concerned about the environmental impacts especially to eagles um with what those turbines would do. I bet you they were concerned with noise um, considerations and, and other different types of effects that are produced by wind fr- just, just destroying the land and going subsurface, how much you have to dig and, and develop below surface to install that. And then all the concrete and then just reinforcements of fossil fuels. They say that they want to get rid of fossil fuels, but you're still having to use fossil fuels to to construct these very gargantuan projects. So they were like, this is just a lose-lose for us. We never gave them permission and the law's on our side in this case.
2: Well that is yeah it's funny uh, Gabriella that you mentioned that this this case really does kind of mirror the uh the the theme and the plot of of Killers of the Flower Moon same exact tribe and everything back then they made their money on fossil fuels that's that's what, how they became so rich they had a lot of oil under their feet they discovered it and a whole bunch of very greedy folks came in to try and s- steal it from them and in cases they they killed people to get it uh but now if we were to, you know, look fast forward a hundred years, and here we are again. this is just a big money grab. You mentioned yourself that people are going after these grants. Well, these grants are handed out by BLm, I assume, and the and the administration. And they realize this makes for just like Obama figured it out with Solyndra, this makes for a great slush fund. And all of a sudden, they've got this push to save the planet. I think it's more about saving their political hides. And uh, and getting some uh, getting some money flowing here. That's what it seems like to to most people that just kind of look at it for any more than five minutes. Uh, is that what this is? Is this just a big money power grab? This whole green it, thing.
6: It's an assuaging of Biden's environmental backers. So you notice that let's say they do energy efficiency standards, they push the so-called clean energy projects. Who's benefiting? You have to look to see which companies, which interests, which individuals are receiving these grants or or being able to outbid. It's usually a lot of individuals or companies who put forth money to this president's campaign. And so you look to see like who are they rewarding? They're rewarding their friends because they know that it can't thrive in the market. You know, if if it's fully tested in the free market or, or what is left over of our free market, and you know, it, it was tested to see if there was consumer demand. You would see so many more people saying, Yes, I want a solar project here, I want a win project here. You saw in the last year, especially in the last six months, a lot of people were reverting back to coal, oil, and natural gas because Gabriella, of just yeah crazy. conditions. have
1: got cut you. I've got to cut you off right there. Thank okay. you for being with us here on today's news talk. We really appreciate you. Cfacto.org to keep up with Gabriella's work. This is State of the Nation on today's news talk.